welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Narafundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Today, we're going to be capturing a topic that's very hot right now, particularly with the NBA season starting off this week. It's load management. The NBA preseason kicked off recently, and the start of the regular season is, as I mentioned this week, with the Warriors starting their season against Kevin Durant and the Suns. One interesting change in the NBA rules this year centers around the idea of load management. Essentially, load management is this process of optimizing performance while minimizing injury risk. This isn't really a new idea. A lot of you know that Greg Popovich with the Spurs started resting players, quote unquote, for old age. But really what he was doing was trying to optimize the performance, particularly at their advanced age. We saw that with Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili in a national TV game. And we've seen several high profile players opting out to sit games in order to rest, particularly when they're playing a team that may not necessarily be important or maybe a back-to-back game. But really the, the main question for all of us is what's really the data behind this? What does it basically relate to other sports and how this compares to the NBA schedule, what it means for players moving forward? Maybe my first question for you, Drew, is, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with this policy. What is the NBA policy for load management that Adam Silver just developed? It's called the Player Participation Policy, or PPP, and it came out just this offseason. They started back in the spring of this year with some new policies. There was a previous policy in place. But it seems like a lot of players and teams were just able to overlook it. There wasn't a lot of enforcement. The new one just tries to strengthen what they had. Basically, it says that no more than one star player can rest each game for a team. And they'll define a star as anyone who's been an all-star or all-NBA selection in the past three seasons. And then you also get bumped up into that star category if you know, obviously, if you make the all-star game that year. So it can change mid-season whether you're a star or not. And then they've also put a priority on the star players needing to be available for the national TV games and the new in-season tournament. And what they've also said is they want teams and players to balance rest days between home and away, which I think is really interesting. And they've actually asked them to favor more rest days for home games rather than away games. So if the Warriors are going to play some East Coast team and it's going to be Steph Curry's only trip, they're trying to say, don't rest him then, like let the fans see him basically. And, you know, have him play there, have him take a day off when he's at home. They also have said that healthy players are expected to be at the game and visible to fans. So if you're resting, you still need to be there, still need to be on the bench apparently and let everybody see you. I'm a little bit surprised about that home versus away, but for those of you that have studied performance, so I guess mainly Nerev, What do you think about that? Do you think it's more valuable if you've got only a certain number of days to rest? Is it better to take that at home when you have all the bells and whistles that these players have? Or is it better to have this away when you're just trying to take a break? I think a lot of the data suggests that, you know, when you are playing away, particularly when you've flown a long distance, that's where possibly the biggest risk of injury as well as poor performance comes. So At home, better chance of good performance, less chance of injury risk. We know that there's a lot of data in terms of the negative effects of travel, in terms of sleep, et cetera. So I would rather have NBA players from an injury standpoint and a performance standpoint be taking that rest at an away game as opposed to a home Mm -hmm. game. And then maybe a follow-up question for you, Drew and Brian. I mean, you both took care of professional teams and fellowship. How can you enforce this? You know, I think the key question is going to be, can someone suddenly be listed with an injury, you know, like, oh, your ankle sore, you have back pain. It's a way to get around this policy. How does that whole 
process of reporting injuries and making sure that they're actually true take place so you can potentially get around this process. I think some of it you rely on the integrity of the medical staff, the athletic training team, the team physicians, and the league does have plans to, they've said they'll independently do a medical review if there are inconsistencies. So I think they're trusting these people to not just fabricate injuries. I can see a situation though where like something will be sore and you can attribute day off or a couple of days off to that. And that totally happens during a long season. So it can be a little hard to totally enforce it. But I think probably what they're trying to look at most is just those like, I'm totally fine. It's just, I don't really feel like playing this Tuesday. So I'm going to you know take the day off. And they've also said they're going to enforce it with fines. They escalate pretty quickly. So like a hundred thousand for the first one, 250 for the next which you know, I think a lot of teams will probably be fine with that. But then past that, they said they're going to add a million dollars for each additional fine. So when you start getting to five, six, seven, and it starts adding up pretty quickly. And then on top of it, the players will be docked, like basically a game check. So the players are, you know, they'll have some say in it too. And could see them speaking up if they don't want to lose you know, their money too. So some enforcement tied to it, and, but probably hard to enforce too. I think it's really tough with the amount of money that they're asking for somebody who is banged up, but they're not going to have something identifiable to say you're going to lose 100000 or the team will lose 100000 and you're going to be docked a day's pay for this. I think it's pretty tough, especially when you look at those kind of in-between people. So one of the things that where there are exceptions are age over 35 or more than 34,000 playoff and regular season minutes. I have no idea what that actually means in terms of That's lottery. LeBron. <laughs> yeah, but you're 31, 32 you're <laughs> for the players that have played in the playoffs last year. And now you're just banged up. You're sore. There's nothing really identifiable. And then you kind of have to argue. I guess the for the everyday person, this would be like a worker's comp injury or when do you return to work after sports? So I think there are going to be a fair amount of gray areas with this. And the other thing that I worry about a little bit is the public disclosure of what's going on for players. There is, if you're a patient, we absolutely protect your privacy. But now we need to get a deep dive into what exactly is going on in Draymond's left finger just because he can't play on the back end of a New York, New Jersey away series. I think that's going to be a little bit rough. Once again, everyone, just you can listen to us at 68weekspodcast.com. Shoot us questions your way on social media. Why do you think this is an issue right now? I mean, we, we've known about load management, as you know, you mentioned in the in kind of the, the notes beforehand, and then I mentioned the intro. It's been going on with the Spurs. Why is there a concern about this now? Is it financial? Is it because we're understanding load management more? The data suggests otherwise. Where do you think it's coming from? I think a lot of it is they're looking to negotiate new TV contracts and want to have availability of their star players for you know visibility in national TV games. It, you know, I think uh, Joe Dumars came out with some recent quotes saying, "Hey, there's no evidence to say that you know load management is working. We want to you know push people towards having like you know play 82 game type mentality." You know, I think we'll talk about some of that, but some of that's true that there's not a lot of evidence on it. But you know, hopefully it's not too cynical. But it does seem like the motivation is probably just putting forth a an appealing product as they're negotiating new media rights. Right. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see it. You know, it was very similar to the NFL and the turf data. The NFL says we have data that says that, you know, artificial turf makes no difference to grass. I mean, 
there are published papers out there looking at load management, which obviously the retrospective have actually shown that load management does actually decrease injury risk as well as improves performance. Obviously, you know, we've done one of them here as well, too. It's not the best, highest quality data, but it does demonstrate a trend. So it'd be interesting to see the NBA actually release that because it has big implications also for other sports as well, too. Maybe we should be load managing, even though all the data seems to suggest that there is some association. You know, Brian, when you obviously when you did your fellowship at HSS, you had access to some of the, you know, the pro teams and, and some of those positions. How do they keep their data? Like, how is this data released? Like, is there like a research group? Where is this coming from in terms of how they're, they're storage, you know, storing it and potentially releasing it? So Eli Manning was a robot. And so we didn't have to worry about him getting injured. He was just the perfect specimen for a right-handed quarterback, second only to Steve Young. You know, I think how teams managed it in 2007 when I was a fellow and now is totally different. There are entire science teams. The data that we collect in the last couple of years for players in terms of tracking movement, tracking sleep, what they're eating is light years ahead of where we were even probably seven to 10 years ago. So I think most teams now have going to be managing this. And I think it's really important to understand that data, how to maximize it. But as with many, it's probably going to take about three to five years for us to use this level of data and then understand how to leverage that into injury prevention, really be able to look at the correlation between how much a player is moving, how much sleep they're getting, how much nutrition, and when does that correlate with injuries? Because the reality is when you're looking at how to study this, you need a certain number of people to get injured before we can understand the data. So we're not going to get that in looking at three months of the data. We're not going to be able to look into this season and say, hey, by December, we know if this is working or not. It's just going to be too soon. Well, I do think that there's been some data, you know, in other sports, maybe Drew, like, is there data in other sports? You know, we we know some of the recommendations for, uh, you know, Major League Baseball. There's some youth sports recommendations. It seems like there is data that the NBA can look to from other sports, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that load management works, like that there is some point of overload that leads to injury and a higher rate of problems. And you know, baseball is probably one of the best examples with pitch counts. And especially like youth sports, we know that increased days throwing, increased number of pitches, the number of teams you play on, uh, just that increased exposure results in a higher rate of shoulder and elbow injuries. And we've seen improved injury rates with the, like, especially like the USA Play Safe recommendations where, you know, kids are under a you know, tighter microscope looking at how much throwing they're doing. And then we see that in Major League Baseball too. And it's hard to you know, tease out injury rates at that level. But, you know, we've seen a great shift over the past, you know, couple decades and the number of pitches that people throw, how often they throw and how, you know, players are managed. I think, I mean, that's a great example that there is some point where like you do too much and that brings about injury. Yeah. You're seeing this in football too. You see even star players come off for more breaks when they're tired, because the worst thing you can have is somebody who is really, really good trying to play when they're gassed and then they get an injury because their feet aren't moving as quickly and then end up with an MCL sprain, hamstring, something that keeps them out for four to six weeks. When you were describing this, I was saying, what if teams had to go all the way back and say like you drafted somebody and they actually played extra AAU basketball games or they played in multiple summer leagues? Could you say, well, if you want load management, you have to go back 10, 15, 20 years before the NBA and then really load manage these guys so that they have a 20-year career. Now, obviously, 
they're probably not going to do that. It's probably not relevant, but it is something that I was thinking about in terms of stacking up the number of minutes played just because you started playing in the NBA and that's the highest level. It doesn't mean those other minutes didn't, didn't count. So how would you have done this either the same or differently? Is this the type of rule that you think is good for the league, bad for the league? Nirav, would you have set it up just like this or would you have done something different? I would probably have kept it the same. I think, as you mentioned, that there's integrity of the medical staff. So I think, number one, I think that if they do truly do feel that players are getting overworked or they need to take a rest day, then they should be able to. You know, I understand the fan perspective and we all want to see Curry or, or Durant or, or LeBron play when we, we buy those tickets. But at the end of the day, these are human beings. It's their livelihood and, and we need to make sure they're not getting injured. And I think it's much worse for the league, you know, of a star player to get injured because they're, you know, playing a, a you know, a back to back night in Oklahoma City when they could be resting. So I believe the integrity of the medical staff and the teams and yeah, could there be 5% of people just like resting the last minute because they don't feel well or they're just trying to prepare for the next big game? Because there's they're citing data that I don't think necessarily we've seen or exists makes me a little bit more wary about it. And, I, you know, the, as Drew mentioned, the TV contract makes me think the motive is a little bit ulterior. They've, they've probably had this data for a while now, now because the TV contract's coming up. They're trying to change things. Yeah, I think the messaging could probably be more player safety focused. Because even like reading through the rule, a lot of it is talking about like the national TV games and, you know, these like high profile times. And, you know, it's pretty clear like what the focus is. But if they said, hey, this is what the what our data has shown, that this is when players are at risk for injury. This is what we need to be mindful of. And, you know, we want people to play, but we also want to keep them safe. And this is what we think our you know, recommendation will be. That could probably be received better on the player side. If it's like, hey, we need you out there, just doesn't seem like the two sides are totally aligned. I think it's it's a hard balance to strike between like we need to have good games that are being played with the best players, and you know we need to maximize you know the player side too that they need to be able to take care of themselves and you know know what's right for career and their productivity. Yeah, I tend to err anywhere on the side of this is going to be better for the players. It is interesting if you are not quite an all-star level player that you can take whatever time you want off. Right. It almost incentivizes you to be like, I'm going to be pretty good, but not quite that good. Do you think this will make <laughs> any cha- any change in the end in how we see the games or how teams are managing this? You know, I think there will be a higher likelihood that, you know, particularly in markets that are a little bit smaller or when teams are on road games, that you're going to see that star player, particularly in, if you have a team that's, you know, not doing so well, it's like, you know, they're 10th or 11th in the, you know, on their conference and, you know, the number one or number two seed comes in, you'll see those players play. It'll be good for the fans or in the stadium. I don't necessarily feel that it'll change necessarily how many people are viewing the game, but I think for the fan experience, I understand they're spending a lot of money to go to these games, particularly as NBA ticket prices rise. And I think it will appeal to the fans a lot more that fans in local smaller markets can see games. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it may actually be a wash. It'll be all the same, particularly since the older players will kind of have those exceptions, the Chris Pauls, the, you know, the players who are over, you know, who played a lot of minutes. Yeah, and I'll bet it results in the teams just kind of plotting out schedules a lot more. I don't know how much that's done right now, but, you know, I could see this leading to like, well, this is going to be your rest day. You know, it's a, this qualifies as it's a not a national TV game. It's the second night of a back-to-back. So it doesn't really matter how you feel, but that's going to be a rest day rather than, you know, potentially just seeing, you know, more in the flow, how things look. Yeah. Or just play 12 minutes. You go in, you yeah. start, and then... Yeah. 
you get more in-game management. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us today on Six to Eight Weeks. Uh, find out more at Six to Eight Weeks Podcast com. And as the NBA season gets rolling, hopefully we don't have that many injuries to talk about. But the reality is, we'll probably be talking a lot about load management and other injuries as they come up in the first couple months of the season. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, Six to Eight Weeks, Perspectives in Medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire Six to Eight Weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.